Hello, everybody, and welcome to Disabilities Not a Bar. Uh, as always, I'm your co-host, Charlotte McDonald, along with the lovely... Halima Farouk. Uh, thank you very much for joining us. And we're delighted to be going international uh, for, uh, for this episode. And we are joined by Peter Tong, who is uh, joining us from Canada. Um, Peter was, a criminal, uh, was in criminal law uh, and worked as a staff lawyer for their legal aid system. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, for the benefit of everyone listening as to why I'm giggling, this is take two, and I'm just repeating myself. Uh, we had a technical fault, but these things happen and we plow on. Um, so thank you so much for joining us, Peter. We're absolutely delighted uh, to have you. Um, and I'm going to hand over to Halima to do your first question. Thank you. It's yeah. my pleasure to be here. Thank you so much, Peter. And, you know, just to echo what Charlotte said, it was so nice for you to reach out on Twitter because I think you responded to one of our one of our tweets that we put mm -hmm. out. And it's always always, always nice when um, people volunteer. But yeah, the, the first question is um, what attracted you to law? And you could sort of tell us a little bit about how the Canadian legal system is and, you know, how it takes to qualify there. OK, well, maybe I'll start with that to uh, qualify as a lawyer in the Canadian system first you need to have a bachelor's degree you can't go directly into a law degree but interestingly it doesn't matter what your bachelor's degree is my class was full of lots of folks with arts degrees my background was in computer science one of my classmates had a fine arts degree in violin performance but once you have some sort of bachelor's degree we have a three-year law program and then much like england you have a one-year, what we call an articling process, where you have a supervising attorney and a supervising uh, officer chambers. And we do, rather than a big sort of qualification exam at the end, we do 12 small exams over the year. And then once you get signed off, you're officially a lawyer and you have to pay a lot of money for your robes and all that sort of stuff. And off you go. <laughs> Sorry, to answer the second part of your question, um, I, I worked uh, for the Canadian federal government for a long time, uh, running teams of computer scientists, people that wrote computer programs and all that stuff. And I just decided I was a point in my life that I wanted to work with people. I saw lots of sort of inequity in my country around disability and whatever. So I thought I was going to be a human rights lawyer. And then partway through legal aid or partway through law school, I discovered that, you know, uh, Resolving human rights cases takes years and years, and lots of people who are doing it are living hand to mouth trying to get paid. I didn't really like that, so I went into the legal aid system. But I do think that I sort of covered off my 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 love of human rights law because I worked with some of the most challenging clients within within the criminal system. A lot of my clients had severe mental health issues and other disadvantages, so. I sort of not only represented them as a traditional criminal lawyer, right? I had all kinds of other issues that I was dealing with at the same time. I probably know more about antipsychotic medications than any other lawyer in my region, just because I was lucky to work with teams of doctors and stuff to help my clients. Brilliant. Um, and in terms of um, your disability, I was wondering if you could talk us more about that and what a typical day looks like for you. Okay, absolutely. Um, I have cerebral palsy. I was born very early. I was about three months premature. Um, 
So I use a, a manual wheelchair. Well, I have both a manual and a, and a, and a motorized wheelchair, but I largely use a, a manual wheelchair to, to aid mobility. Uh, what's my day-to-day -day life? Pretty typical, except I'm doing it sitting down on wheels instead of standing up. And there's some <laughs> physical barriers that come with that. But other than that, I wouldn't say that my life is is largely different than anybody else who's who's uh, practicing law. There are some some barriers and obstacles that we'll we'll talk about. But my day to day life is largely the same as anyone else's. In terms of um, your childhood, if we sort of start from school. How was your experience with your disability in school? Um, to, to the credit of my parents, it was really, really good. They, I, I think I was fortunate in the fact that I was the youngest of five kids. And right from the time that I was born, there was a decision made that I was going to do everything that my brothers and sisters did, including going to school. And my parents worked very hard at that because to remember grade one for me was 1969 and this was very much on the cutting edge for kids nowadays kids with disabilities are in schools all the time my parents actually had to sanction the province to allow me to go when i was tested and poked and prodded and whatever and they were given permission to for me to go to school now i was lucky that in the neighborhood where i grew up by by no particular good plan, but just by circumstance, the school was actually quite accessible. So my parents drove me back and forth to school, but I was able to interact with my friends um, very early on because I sometimes used to also manipulate using leg braces and crutches. It became apparent that that wasn't going to work in school. There was too much moving around, and that's when I when I really started to use a manual wheelchair full time. But interestingly, by the time I got to what we call high school, which for us are the last three years of school, 10, 11, and 12, my high school wasn't at all wheelchair accessible, and I used to get carried up and downstairs by my classmates. And at that time, that was kind of an acceptable thing to do. I don't think we would do it anymore, but that, that, that was my high school experience. That's, that's quite incredible. I think you're the second guest who's... Um had a similar uh, experience where people have carried them uh, up and down the stairs uh, and you know nowadays if you think about that that would be seen <laughs> yeah. as you know it would be uh... <laughs> well just just to give just to give an, an example i mean when, when i was in university in the complex where i was going to school there, there was one washroom that I could use in the entire complex. So, I mean, there's all, there's all the planning and everything that goes with that. My, my wife teaches at the University of Manitoba here in Winnipeg, where we are. There's a wheelchair accessible washroom about every three feet. <laughs> you know, but, but that's 40 years later. Yeah, so, absolutely. So we have made some of, those, some of those advances. I mean, I guess one of the things, and, and I'm sure... You've shared the experience. We 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 do really well on the ramps and the toilets. We still have a whole bunch of attitudes to work on. <laughs> no, absolutely. Yeah. When I think about sort of going, even going back to my school, which is which is very good, and all the new facilities are accessible. I'm sort of thinking of my old classrooms where 
yes, you could just have a classroom on the bottom floor, but history department was on the top floor and the geography mm. department was in the middle and all the IT suites were upstairs. And I just wonder what they actually do for for um, children, children with yeah with um, with access needs. And I remember even just when I broke my foot, and I couldn't get up the stairs. Right. That we had to move our classes around to this one IT suite that we had in the whole school that was downstairs. But I don't remember. Yeah, there being sort of I think there's one yeah one accessible bathroom I could think of. Um, and even yeah, it's a very progressive and brilliant school, and yet uh, just doesn't have the facilities because they're they're old. So it's 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 interesting to hear you know that there was a time where people you know being carried was was the acceptable way, which yeah now you yeah imagine yeah letting yeah. anyone do for either person's safety. Um, so that's yeah, it scares me just to think about it now. But that's what we did for years. <laughs> And um, in terms of your um, your condition, just so in case people don't know, has it been a sort of a progressive one, um, or is was there a time that things were was school a little bit was a bit easier when you were younger, or has it been quite consistent? No, it, it's it's not it's not so much that the 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 condition progresses. I mean, I will always have neurological limitations about you know hand movement, leg movement, whatever. The biggest thing that I need to be careful about is just aging part of the reason that i do sport and i stay active is because i need to work to keep my body mobile i mean if i'm if i'm not active i'll i'll become a lump and that's that's not who i want to be you told you told us off recording what what you do what you're doing what you do yeah could you tell us about your your sporting yeah, I'm a, I'm a competitive wheelchair fencer. So tonight is fencing training night, and uh, it's a highlight of my week when I go fencing. So I absolutely love wheelchair fencing. When it comes to the Paralympics, it's I have to say my, my number one is always table tennis because I grew up helping um, with uh, the local version of the Paralympics, right. for table tennis, um, and that, that was a big part of my my growing up. And I we a few few of our people there went to the Paralympics, but wheelchair fencing is my next favorite to watch it's absolutely amazing the speed considering you know you, you, you are like bolted in on you almost uh, to the ground and yet the speed is absolutely amazing uh, yeah, I, 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 re I really enjoy it I've only been I've only been doing it for about a year but I mean after after several years of trying lots of different sports I finally found my sport and it gets a lot of my time and energy now Fantastic. Oh, it's so nice. <laughs> Sorry, I went, went off timeline there, but <laughs> it was very. Funny. No, it's good. It's good. Um, now, I would be really interesting to know more about your bar school and when you when you actually started your legal studies. How were things for you then in terms of accessibility and um, reasonable adjustments? I'm not sure if you have the same um, terminology there, but uh, in terms of you know where were uh, facilities available for you again when you were studying for the bar? Yeah, by 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 the time I, I went to law school, this was two thousand and three. I mean, the the law school itself was all in one building, which was nice. the The physical access was quite good. We did have the 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 ever famous one accessible bathroom, right? But you <laughs> learn to plan your life around that. Um, but other than that, it was pretty good. I have to say that the law school was was quite quite open open and welcoming i never i never sort of um felt excluded or 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 set a, set aside or anything which which is quite interesting because in many other ways um 
my Canadian law school loves its traditions and doesn't like change very mm-hmm. much, but they were still mm-hmm. still pretty open. Um, pretty pretty similar with my my articling experience, um, except that sort of getting me to court and all that became like an entire firm responsibility because you have to remember that for about five months a year, we have a lot of snow on the ground. So even with a power wheelchair, getting getting to, to court and those other obligations can be an adventure. So we used to actually all leave the office as a group. So there were, there were pushers. So it was kind of interesting to see um, the guy with the power wheelchair and a bunch of people in their best legal garb pushing their way down the street through the snow. But the reason I'm sharing the story is the fact that everybody in my firm from the most junior to the most senior were all part of it. Like when I was hired, that was kind of taken on board as something we were going to have to deal with. And we just did. And, and so yeah, that's incredible. Just for our English listeners, of uh, English and Welsh listeners, uh, so articling is like the pupillage year, I think, that we have here. It's sort of yes. a practical, practical year. Um, mm-hmm. it's, yeah, it's, it's, really, it's so interesting learning how, how it's sort of done all around the world and yet it's still similar, <laughs> similar yes. different. Um, so it's a, it's good to know that you, yeah, you had sort of people who were, um, yeah, able to support you. Snow is not necessarily a consideration we've taken. We had about this much this year. That was, yes. <laughs> that was our, uh, our impressiveness. But yeah, I thought, thought about that recently where I, when I was somewhere very snowy about trying trying to get around and I saw a few people in motorized wheelchairs thinking ice probably isn't very fun but probably neither is deep snow <laughs> to try and uh, to try and, to yeah, try and either around. either one is a challenge to be honest and how was it um you, you sort of you said that once you you got in and they took they took you on sort of knowing um your conditions how how were they in terms of your application process to to get into mm-hmm. doing your articles the impression that I that I got, and I I don't I don't have anything to sort of prove this, but I I've carried this impression the whole time that I that I think the legal aid system was much more open to the idea of a lawyer with a disability than a private law firm would be. I still got the impression that private law firms weren't very interested because I didn't fit the mold. I mean, I found a comfortable place within the legal aid system as a staff lawyer. But I, it might be different now, but 15 years ago when all this happened, I don't think that, that private firms were very, very open to lawyers with disabilities. What gave you that impression? Did you have an interaction? No, I think it's the fact that I didn't have much interaction. There was lots of talk about me through my principal supervising lawyer, but not a lot of discussion with me. I think I was uh-huh. very much an outsider. Yeah. You know, it was it was more of an impression for what didn't happen than what did. Like, no private law firms approached me to say, "Gee, do you want to come work with us?" Mm-hmm. And there was, I know, there was lots of discussions about me in court, sort of through my supervising attorney, but not with me. And I yeah. only know that because I knew my supervising attorney very well, and she was very experienced, and she would share all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think that's still an issue that I find really annoying is when when people if I go somewhere with a friend, um, someone will address my friend and not me. And that happens late. That has happens blatantly now, you know, and it is very discouraging as someone with a disability. But it's like, 
know, I can talk to me. I'm here. I mean, it happens. Yeah, um, I use. I, I'm not a constant wheelchair user, but um, I have to use them for things like recently. I was at an airport, and I had to hire one because I, there was really? no way I was going to be able to get as far away as, as our as our gate was. And um, even that happens. They they were talking to even though I was holding our passports and our tickets, and I was the one talking <laughs> to them. They turned to my mum and went, "Does she need this?" And I remember looking at them going she yeah, is, yeah. is here yeah. to be addressed and yeah. you know is, is clearly able to address you um and yeah it's, it's it, that's always a, a difficult one to be to be talked around um yeah there's, there's, we'll, there's, um, all, there's all kinds of cultural things like that that i find interesting i find that if i'm out and about in my community and i'm in a t-shirt and a pair of jeans um somebody will pretty regularly stop me and ask me if I need any assistance or anything, although I'm doing fine. Um, but if I'm downtown and I'm all dressed up in my lawyer suit and have my briefcase and all that, I don't have those same kind of interactions. So there's a whole cultural thing there about confidence, right? Yeah, it's mm -hmm. interesting. It's it's good that you, obviously you got a supportive network and there was, there was all that around you despite everything else going on. And I'm sure we'll come around to, to what, other people's uh, interactions were like um, a little bit more uh, later on. Um, but mm -hmm. I'd like to just know a little bit about, um, you sort of said that the, the legal aid system was a little bit more open to having you potentially, but what made you want to go specifically to work for, for legal aid rather than going into, into sort of practice outside of it? There, there, there are three things that I really liked about it. One, that, that in my region, in my province, the legal aid system actually runs a clinic for students and they operate mm -hmm. it and it gets you your first courtroom experience or whatever when you're still in school. So I had already made a connection with legal aid as an organization. And so there was that. I loved the fact that they were helping the people that needed help the most, like the people that legal aid assist are really at a disadvantage in so many ways. And I also like the fact that you're not chasing clients for money. I got a regular paycheck every two weeks and I could my cases could be as complex as I wanted them to be and I still got paid. So I like that a lot too. I wouldn't necessarily say that's the same about the legal aid system here. I, I was just thinking that. I was like, you um, you have a far more uh, happier relationship with the legal aid system in Canada than in the UK. I, I think it's, it's kind of flipped here, hasn't it? Whereas here, uh, human rights and international law is booming. Uh, uh, and criminal law, not so much. And then in Canada, it's the other way around. Right. In my yeah. experience, anyway. <laughs> that's good. That's well, good speaking. It's good to know yeah. because yeah, it's, so legal aid here, people are, are pulling away from because including things about not being paid properly on right. time. And I've worked with them. Um, yeah, with cases um, even in family law where legal aid does qualify and people take so long to get paid because there's so many that, hurdles to get through that get happens here as well if you're a, if you're a private bar lawyer and you're relying on legal aid certificates to get paid i was lucky i was a staff lawyer so i was just on salary right ah uh, that makes more sense there we go then, <laughs> okay that makes sense if we now sort of got to the stage that you've you've gone through uh, your articles and you've been accepted uh, uh, into into the, the the legal aid system what has uh, practice been like for you? What's your day-to-day -day practice look like for a start? What does your work involve? And then how has that how has that been in the years that you've been that you were doing it? Well, it, it, it's it's 
tough to give you a typical name because as I alluded to, I was a criminal defense attorney, but I dealt with some of the most challenging clients. So I had lots of clients that were seriously mentally ill. So not only did I deal with the court system and as a junior lawyer, of course, I did lots of bail court and and random appearances and all that kind of stuff on 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 behalf of the more senior lawyers. But when I got to the stage of doing my own practice, I spent an awful lot of time at the local mental health facility dealing with clients. And now the nice part about that is, is in my community, because I became known as the specialist in that area, I was brought into the fold by the folks at the hospital. So I would go into the treatment meetings and whatever and understand why they were using a particular treatment plan or why they were using particular medications. And I could take that all back to the court as we were sort of deciding what appropriate solutions were. And about halfway through my career, my region developed what we call a mental health court. And this was designed for people who um, became involved in the criminal justice system largely because of the impact of their of their mental health. And we would, rather than send people to prison or whatever, we would get them housed, we would get them stabilized, and we would get them continuing under supervision in the community. So, I mean, so my, my practice, I guess, in, in many ways was unusual because my advocacy had another another level to it, right? So I, I dealt with lots of folks with disabilities, with lots of folks with with mental health issues, but the mental health part was probably the most rewarding because you saw, because by the time people are ill enough to become involved in the criminal justice system, they've already burned a whole bunch of bridges, right? They're probably disconnected from their family. They're probably disconnected largely from the community. And this was a way to build back and to get people back into the community and get stabilized. So that was a really fun experience. That was some of the favorite work that I did. Fantastic. It sounds pretty rewarding as well. I have a challenging <laughs> it. Really challenging. Absolutely. <laughs> The 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 rewards all always outweighed the challenges, right? So you know, as I say, not only did I spend a lot of time in in court, I spent a lot of time in mental health facilities and in prisons because that's where my clients usually started because they were usually arrested in a situation that involved violence and whatever else, so they were immediately incarcerated, and then we worked from there. So. Yeah, that's it's. It sounds the way that you're just describing it and how sort of fulfilling it was is sounds quite similar to when people ask me why. And I'm sure it was the same with with crime. But people say, why would you want to go into family law? You know, why that's the area I'm in, and why would you want to you know be working with these difficult cases? And you know how how draining it must be to have you know children in you know, really distressing situations. And I just said it's just it's the rewarding aspect of it that for me it has that people element and it's interesting that you sort of wanted yeah. to come into the law for, for the, the human side of it because that's <laughs> what I really feel it is. And at, at the time it wasn't the human side that I was expecting but boy is it human <laughs> when you're in the middle of all that. <laughs> yeah absolutely is it absolutely is and it's a yeah it's, it's a it sounds like an absolutely fascinating area um and, and and way to do it and once you've it's interesting hearing you sort of building up those relationships that then led to uh, to more to more cases that are that are similar, um, and and speaking of that, um, when you 
were sort of establishing relationships um, you know, with third parties or whether it was with with clients. Um, how how do people react to to you having a disability? Um, was was there any was there any pushback against that, or were people on the whole really receptive because you're brilliant in yourself? <laughs> you, you, you know what? As far as clients go, there was very little. I, I mean, I think over over time there were maybe two or three clients that said that they didn't want me to represent them. They weren't comfortable with the disability, but, but it was, it was largely the opposite effect. I sort of had a, a, a regular coterie of clients who, who trusted me. It's interesting as you, 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 you can't really, really tell because I'm, I'm wearing a big set of, headphones but i have a bald head and i have a whole set of earrings on both ears <laughs> which i kept through all the way in my practice and i was i was never known as as a lawyer with a disability if one of my colleagues was was at the local jail somebody would say i want to see the guy with the earrings <laughs> why i became known as the guy with the earrings i don't know but that's how i was identified and there were a number of people who said no? I only want to talk to the guy with the earrings. <laughs> That's really interesting <laughs> you say that because I've got I've got um, some uh, some people I know who are in wheelchairs who have really bright rainbow hair. They're not in law, yes. but they say the same yes. thing. They said for the first time someone called me the girl with the rainbow hair and not the girl yes. in the wheelchair. <laughs> and I yes. think it's, it's it's the thing that when we have disabilities, it's that well, what can we control? You know, we can't control the situation we're in. And yeah, I find that yeah, I, I, I agree. That, that's 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 absolutely true, and I guess I was the I was the sort of the the epitome of that. I've got I've got the bald head, I've got the earrings, I've got dozens of tattoos, which never came out in court. But yeah. you know, and, <laughs> but it's just it's just my way of being who I am. I guess right. Yeah, and that's similar. We've had we've had other people on here. Um, who, who are wheelchair users who said the same they've got tattoos which you, we, we know, I never knew until yes. they talked about it on the podcast and they said well that's the one thing in my body that I could decide what I wanted it to be like so I'm gonna yeah. put a picture on it and uh, yeah I love that it's it's interesting about three years ago right after I left the practice of law and retired from that part of my life I was in my my local tattoo shop with my regular artist getting a tattoo as I do and in 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 the room next door was a young woman who was a court clerk and she spotted me and she said oh or she spotted me going by and then we were sort of chatting back and forth between the rooms and she said well i guess mr tong now that you're retired you can get your first tattoo <laughs> but this time i had about 30. <laughs> and so my tattoo artist and i started to laugh and just said come here for a minute <laughs> <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah, and because I very deliberately didn't show my tattoos off in court, I mean, I, I'm I'm not a big fan of all the courtroom conventions, but there are certain lines that you don't cross. Um, it was it's always been sort of a private thing, right? But it was interesting to share it in that way. <laughs> I love that. That's absolutely brilliant. And yeah, good good to know as well that 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 you have that, that the clients that are like that. And I just out of interest, not to bring it back down to the negative because I'm loving talking this, but of the client, you said that there were two or three clients that did say they didn't want you yeah. representing them um because of the disability. How how did you react to that and how how do you sort of um approach something like that happening? 
I, I'm I'm fine with that. I was I had a very busy, successful practice. I don't, don't need to twist somebody's arm to represent them. If they're more comfortable <laughs> with somebody else, by all means, please do that. Oh, you're so positive. I don't know if it's, if it's the, <laughs> the, the Canadian side of it, but it's, it's, it's lovely just to go. Yeah, I don't I don't need you if you need me or help. But exactly. That's... I mean, that's how I feel. There were lots of lots of people I was helping. I don't need to twist somebody's arm to stay as a client. Oh, that's, that's I, I like that. That's really that's really mm. good. So, and just lastly, in, in the sort of chain, I guess, um, when you are was a lot of your practice in in courtrooms, or you said you had to go to a lot of hospitals, and if so, what what are your courtroom facilities like in Canada? Are they are they sort of new buildings that are accessible, or are those ones well, they like our horrible old buildings here that the lift? Well, is I'm, I'm, I'm glad to give give a, give an opportunity to talk about that because. Um, Despite the fact that we have relatively modern buildings, our our main courtroom complex was was built, I think, in the 1960s. So by English standards, very modern. Um, but lots of physical barriers, big, heavy wooden doors. Uh, again, I think one washroom in the whole complex until recently. But the the real barrier to practice in my region for people with disabilities is attitude and i would describe it this way our our justice system and that includes um the other lawyers and the judges and the justice officials are happy to have someone with a disability in the practice as long as they don't have to change absolutely everything they've always done the same way and mm. and and I'm actually involved in a human rights case here in my region because another lawyer with a disability came to me and a group of lawyer friends and said, I'm actually leaving the pro the practice because there's too many obstacles for me, both physically and attitudinally. So we agreed to support that person and put forward a human rights case. And as I'm supporting this person, the other lawyers in the group are hearing some of the stories that I'm telling and they're saying, well, you have to be involved in the case as well. So now I'm also one of the complainants and, and we could talk about lots of details, but I think I have, I have a short story that sort of sums it up and. I was doing a murder case and the case was over and the and the the jury was being sent out and I assume it's similar in 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 England where the jury is out deliberating, the lawyers are expected to be close at hand in case there's questions and you have to come back. And the very senior presiding judge said, I want you available within 20 minutes in case the um in case the jury has any questions and i said only half jokingly uh that that's 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 fine but just so you know it takes me at least 20 minutes to get into my robes and the response was well then i guess you're staying in your robes until the jury is done so even asking for a little bit of sort of five, 10 minute flexibility didn't fit in. With, and I mean, I could give lots of small examples like that, but I think that one sort of sums up the whole attitude towards bringing a disability into our justice system. You're welcome as long as we don't have to do anything to make it better for you.
Yeah, when it's things like that, you know, it, sometimes I, I'm quite understanding sometimes when it's like listed buildings where you can't put a lift in because they're physically not allowed to. But when it comes to just people's attitude like that and it's a small change, you know, just because it's how it's done doesn't mean it's how it should be done. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's just very illustrative. So so I ba I basically lived in my robes for a day and a half. But Oh, wow. As, as I recall, we won the case, so that felt a little better. Almost, almost. <laughs> <laughs> Not out for weeks on end, I guess. But yeah, still still difficult. And um, so you mentioned there that you had someone that you knew that um, someone else had dismissed that, that left the profession. Um, yeah. did, do you have, a, do you, have you encountered a lot of uh, colleagues or um, other people with disabilities? Or has it been quite, quite a rarity? I mean, Although people haven't been very good at uh, providing uh, the needs that you, that you need, uh, I'm wondering whether, as a whole, yeah. there are more. Having a disability in the practice in my region is is still very rare. Now my numbers are going to be a little bit out of date, but in in my in my province and and lawyers in Canada are regulated by province. In my province, there are about 650 practicing lawyers. I can identify four that have identified as having a disability. So, like, that's less than 1%, wow. right? Yeah. Wow. And, that's, and, but statistically and, and, with and, population. and two of us have left the practice. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it's, uh, it's, I say, statistically, there are going to be more than that. Uh, and yet, yeah, you know, but it's interesting that that's, yeah, not, not come into the profession. That's, and it's obviously one of the reasons that we wanted to do this podcast and, and, uh, yeah, other groups started up a lot in the UK to support the, the younger end of the bar so that mm -hmm. we can keep, uh, and support people the, the whole way through. Um, and you've sort of just raised it there. And can I ask what your, your reason was for, for leaving? Um, was it, was it just a, a retirement age or did you have a specific moment where you sort of knew, knew it was up? I, I, <laughs> I, it was it was retirement age, and I was able to retire with a full pension. But I mean, there was a there was a certain certain element of I was a little bit tired of the system blowing in my face all the time. I mm -hmm. I, I don't know who the quote was from. I think it was from a well known uh, model who who said, "I always feel in the business like it doesn't matter what what direction I was facing and the wind was blowing in my face and there were lots of days practicing law that I felt that. So that was an added factor. I maybe I probably left earlier than I might have otherwise. I mean I'm happy with the decision that I made, but it was time. Yeah. Sometimes happens. I must say I, I couldn't tell visually that you were of you were of retirement age, so I wasn't sure. But then yes, clocking back to when you said you were studying, I think <laughs> that was the first. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's my immaturity. It makes me seem young. <laughs> no, it's, it's your it's your positive outlook on life is more. It's, it's your tattoos. In the, <laughs> the tattoos that bring it down. Yeah, it's 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 a uh, no. It's it's good to know that it wasn't sort of something really bad that pushed you out but also it's difficult when um yeah it's not necessarily the most positive end uh to, to a career but were you with you with the legal aids in the whole time where you it was all yeah and and that helped because i had the same team around me who knew me well right and although lawyers changed from from office to office and whatever but they were they were people that that I trusted and who trusted me, and that helped. So if there was an obstacle of 
whether it was because of my disability or just my inexperience, there was always somebody to go to, right? Yeah. To sort of, to sort well, of make, make things better. Building up a team around you, I think, is, is so important. And it's it's like when, when choosing chambers and things like that here where, yeah, just making sure that you have the right, uh, yeah, the right community around you. Um, and it's, it's, it's good to know that it was a good enough one that you stayed there. Well, I, I think that's really key, right? It's a very stressful, very demanding profession, and you need to have supports around you. And I mean, let, let's face it, if you're doing the kind of criminal defense that I was doing, and even if you're doing the kind of challenging family law cases that you're doing, this is not the kind of stuff that you can bring home and have a healthy discussion about. You need other outlets <laughs> for Yeah. It makes for some interesting, yeah, date night conversations, particularly when I was working in <laughs> forced marriage and domestic violence. It was like, how was your day? <laughs> yeah. so, oh, not sure you want to know. <laughs> and that's like, that's like, I found it positive, but it's difficult to try to explain it to other people. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's funny because I have I have friends in other professions who will say things like, you know, I, I had a great day, you know, my my client brought me a gift and I was like, well, my day wasn't so bad because I only got called one really ugly name by a client. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I, I had, I had working one, one of my jobs, I was only a, a sort of legal assistant, but I was probably was, I must have just turned 20. And um, yes, I got called one of the most offensive words. And everyone afterwards completely panicked and they came around me and I was like, well, can't get any worse than that ever being cool. Yeah, exactly. I've done it now. I've ticked it off early before my career's even started. <laughs> so it can't be that bad. I do have um, one question, and it's something that you mentioned, Peter. It's the, the case that you are currently um, involved with and you're a complainant in. Um, I think that's really interesting. Who Who's the case against, um, you know, who, who's it? specifically against and it's, are you able to tell us more about it or no? I, I, can, I can it's a matter of public record the, the case has been filed against the department of justice in the province of manitoba so the entire court system and the justice system as a whole we filed it at a very high level because we're really talking about attitudinal barriers we're not talking about ramps and toilets yeah. We're really talking about the attitudinal barriers that make it more difficult for persons with disabilities to practice. Um, inter interestingly, as we suspected, the responses that we've been getting back from the Department of Justice are very much along the line of, well, we've given you ramps and toilets. What else do you want? So yeah. There's a whole education level of that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about you know, the cultural and attitudinal barriers. Yeah. And it's still live? It's still ongoing? It's it's, it's still very much live. The human rights uh, process in this region is, is very underfunded and very slow. We filed our case um, two years ago, and the investigation hasn't started yet. Oh, wow. So lots to go. We, we've, had, we've had our basic basic intake interviews and all that and an investigator has been appointed but the investigation hasn't started yet i think it's so incredible what you're doing i'm i'm in an interesting position because i i don't have a financial stake in this right i'm not waiting to get money or get compensation or anything out of out of this case i'm really there to show that the experiences of my colleague aren't a one-off or a short-time thing that i had the same experiences over a 15-year yeah. period um 
but, but if I was waiting for some sort of compensation or whatever, the system is awfully slow and cumbersome. I think it's going to take us at least five years to resolve this. That's yeah. a long time to be waiting for compensation. Yeah, which is it puts you in, um, which is you know amazing that you're not looking for compensation because you you've got all the time in the world. <laughs> yeah, it's incredible. I I'm so intrigued by that. We've sort of come to the end of the podcast, and we we finish with three questions. Um, uh, and the first one is uh, if you could tell us about your best experience that you've had uh, in terms of your disability in your career, or whether it was someone that you know was just the most um, remarkable uh, person. And then we ask you to flip that and give us your worst experience. Um, and then we ask you to finish with if there was something that you'd like the listeners of our podcast to take away from your journey what would that be so if we start with your best experience and then you can take it from there well my, my best experience is easy my my articling principal was a was a lawyer by the name of gail mccauley who's still practicing um she has a daughter with a disability so when i showed up we were very comfortable together and she removed a lot of obstacles in that first year sometimes with me knowing sometimes without me knowing to make sure that i was successful and it was so great to have that support and understanding so uh great great show to, to gail um mm -hmm. worst experience i mean i think we we talked about it that whole courtroom thing about mm -hmm. you know i guess you're going to be staying in your robes i took really as a as a hit of disrespect they really it, it, I, I talk about it often because that happened probably five or six years ago, and I still carry it around because although, just just for context, just for context, how what do your robes um, include, and how you know what's the setup like? Is it similar to ours? We we don't have the wigs, but other than that, it's very similar. In fact, my robes are from England, and so it's the it's the <laughs> shirt and the and the tie and the and the waistcoat and the and and the robes but just getting in and out of my power chair and struggling into that is about a 25 minute process so yeah. you know and, and and you know what it's not it's not the worst thing in the world but i really saw it as a as a sign of disrespect particularly when i'm considered by my profession and by the justice system to be able to represent somebody in a murder trial but I can't mm -hmm. be given five extra minutes to get in and out of my robes. Yeah. yeah. And sometimes it is the small things that are, it's, 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 yes, it's not small, but sometimes it is those those interactions that just stick with you more sometimes than the right. very, very blatant, you know, very clear um, discrimination. Mm -hmm. I think those, those sorts of ones just weigh on you because it is, yeah, a lot of uh, law, I think, relies on, us having the mutual respect for each other um, and and being able to you know, support each other with the profession. It's very different if it's your client or something, but when it's you know someone who's been through the system or who sees people daily, uh, for a judge to say that, I think is yeah no, I can I can see why completely see why it sticks. Yeah, right. And I and I think your first third question was what's my message? Um, yes. Keep keep doing what you're doing. I mean, it is possible to have very successful practices and have a disability some days are going to be frustrating and some days are going to be be awful but just just keep working at it keep building your skills and and um 
making our profession more more diverse makes it a better profession. We're going to do better for clients of all types if we don't all see the world in the same way. So that would be my sort of parting method, I guess. Is I think that's brilliant. That's lovely. That'd be a lovely little soundbite. I might extract that out and send it out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I really, I really appreciate that. That's a lovely, a lovely conclusion. Unless I will not uh, ruin by uh, being too verbose after it. Um, but thank you so much for yeah coming and sharing your story um, and sharing it across the pond, as it were. Um, is there anything you'd like to, to add before we? Uh, before we say farewell no i would just like to thank you both it's been a pleasure to talk to you and to meet you both we have we'll have other things away from the podcast to talk about which will also be fun so uh, absolutely looking forward to thank that. you thank really, you so pleasure. much peter we, we really appreciate you yeah coming on uh giving up your time uh yeah despite different time differences um <laughs> we have a lovely rest of your day <laughs> whilst we go and eat dinner and go to bed yeah um, enjoy fencing <laughs> yeah, yes yes um, and yeah, thank you so much for joining us uh, and sharing a very positive, very positive story. Um, we expect nothing less from the, the stereotype that we have of, uh, of, of Canadians, but you've been a delight, a delight to talk to. Um, so thank you very much for joining us. And for those listening, uh, thank you very much for joining us as well. Um, and you've been listening to Disabilities Not A Bar. It's goodbye from me. Goodbye from Halima. Bye. Um, and thank you very much for joining us. We will see you in the next episode. Thank you.